0: I believe that greatness is most often born in the most difficult days of life. Have you determined in your heart and in your mind to live for God no matter what your circumstances look like? I believe that the next generation is watching to see how we live today today. The resolve that you embrace and the choices that you make will resound for generations to come. This is Carol McLeod. Welcome to A Jolt of Joy on the Charisma Podcast Network. I believe that greatness is most effectively born during the worst moments of one's life. You know, during the easy days of life, greatness is never required, is it? Goodness, perhaps. Kindness, certainly. But greatness is at its finest when life is at its worst. The greatest people in all of Bible history were those whose world was literally falling apart. Today, we're going to look at the story of a woman who was determined to honor God even during a grave and defining disappointment in her life. And because of her resolve, those who came after her became great. Never forget that your choices for greatness today will make noise for generations to come. The generations to come will hear of your great life and will be encouraged to follow in your footsteps. If you determine not to live a great life, not to make great choices, not only will you be the loser, but so will those under your care and those who come after you. In order for the next generation to live a truly great and meaningful life, they must watch how you live and the choices that you make today. Do not ever think that they are not watching and listening because they are. Our story takes place at a very dark time in Israel's history. Judges twenty one twenty five describes it like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do you know what this verse tells me? No one great was speaking up. No one great was making a difference. No one great was hearing the voice of God. First Samuel chapter one, verses one and two. This story takes place at about 1170 BC. Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So Elkanah, although he was a God-fearing man, had bought into the ways of his culture and had two wives. He probably had done this because Hannah was unable to give him babies. And so the culture justified the taking of a second wife so that he could have children to carry on for him. These verses also indicate that Samuel was probably born into a wealthy family, probably from aristocracy. Bible scholars tell us that Samuel's line is from the Kohathite family of Levitical priests who were originally responsible for carrying the Ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was the symbolic presence of God. And the children of Israel treasured the ark of the covenant. This was the genealogical line that Samuel was going to be born into, a line of people who treasured the ark of the covenant and the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was always carried with great care and concern. Now, hang on to that detail, if you will, because it's going to pop up later in our story of Elkanah, Hannah, Penina, and eventually Samuel. So verse two tells us that Penina had children, but Hannah had none. In ancient societies, the most important role for a wife was that of conceiving and giving birth to children. Barren wives suffered great embarrassment and shame at seeing another wife providing male heirs for their husbands. It was a constant and daily reminder if you were barren and your husband took a a wife who was a baby factory, it was a constant reminder of your failure at that which mattered the most in life. First Samuel 1.3. Now this man Elkanah would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. So Elkanah loved the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. He even sacrificed to the Lord. First Samuel 1, 4 and 5. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. So these verses tell us that Elkanah carefully and generously distributed part of the sacrifice to the different parts of his family. Despite the... Hannah's inability to give him children. Hannah was the love of Elkanah's life. Verse 5 tells us that he loved Hannah, and he gave her a double portion. This word loved in 1 Samuel 1 verse 5 that describes Elkanah's relationship with Hannah is the ancient Hebrew word that could be defined like this, the desire to breathe after anything, to delight in. Hannah was the reason that Elkanah got up in the morning. He breathed after her. She gave his life meaning beyond that of having children. She was simply his delight. And he would give her a double portion, not based on performance, but based upon love. Not based upon what Hannah could do for him, but just because Hannah was Elkanah's beloved. May I just interject here that you are the love of someone's life as well, and his name is God. He loves you with an everlasting love, and He is declaring over you today His intention to give you a double portion, not based upon performance or upon what you could do for Him. This is how Isaiah sixty-one seven describes it. Instead of your shame, you. Will have a double portion, and instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. It's God's promise to you to give you a double portion. Back to our story of Elkanah and Hannah and Penina and Samuel, First Samuel one 6. Her rival, however, that was Penina, would provoke Hannah bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Not only was Hannah barren, not only had Elkanah caved into the cultural pressure to take another wife, but this other wife was Cruella de Vil, the ugly stepsister, and the wicked witch of the West all rolled into one horrible package. Penina provoked Hannah on the basis of her inability to conceive and bear a child. That was the most painful thing in Hannah's life. She was barren. She was infertile. There were no babies in her aching arms. And into that most painful spot, her enemy, her arch rival, would take and twist the knife in. Benina would mock Hannah and say, you don't have babies and I do. Did you know that we have an enemy too? We have a vexer and he knows what causes us pain and he continually targets that issue in our lives. We're going to learn from the story of Hannah what to do with our pain. We are going to learn how great people process pain and how they deal with difficult people. You think you have a difficult person in your life. Penina takes the cake for one of the most difficult people recorded in the Bible. First Samuel 1, 6, where it describes her as her rival would provoke Hannah bitterly to irritate her. If we were to translate this from the Hebrew, it means Penina fully expressed her vexation. She caused Hannah to grieve. Penina held nothing back, but she continually exacerbated Hannah's deep and daily grief. I wonder, what did Penina do? Did she mock her? I have something you don't have. Nah, 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 nah. Did she belittle her? Face it, Hannah, you'll never be a mother. Did she taunt her? Hey, Hannah, look at my children. Aren't they just precious? Guess what, Hannah? I'm expecting again. There's actually a word in this verse of 1 Samuel 1 6 would provoke her bitterly. This word Bitterly is actually a small word placed in the sentence for the sake of emphasis. It intensifies it or makes the word provoke even more emphatic. It wasn't a little provocation. It was insistent, repetitive, and mean in spirit. What had Hannah done to deserve this treatment? Nothing. Just like she did nothing to deserve the double portion of of the heartfelt love of her husband. She had also done nothing to deserve the ill treatment at the hands of Penina other than just being loved by Elkanah. You have a lover too. He's the lover of your soul, and he always dispenses a double portion of blessing to those he loves. Like Hannah, you have an enemy, and he's the great provoker, the hater, the taunter, and the liar. And you have done nothing to receive this treatment from your enemy other than just to be loved by your dad. Thank you for joining me today on A Jolt of Joy. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd like to encourage you to visit my website at www.justjoyministries.com. It is my passion to help people live an abundant life through the power and principles found only in the Word of God. You can contact me at carol at justjoyministries.com. And as always, know that I am praying for you today.